believe it deep down in our hearts right because I remember when I was first saved at Hawkesbury Church I remember and I remember every Sunday literally sitting on the edge of my seat because I couldn't believe what I was here I mean I could believe it but you know I mean I'm going oh what I am hearing what God has to say to me, this amazing, you know, and, and I'd, I'd actually met God, and you really can do that. I'd had an encounter with God, and suddenly everything that I had learned as a child became real, real to me. And, and you know, some people have lost that along the way. Have we ceased to sit on the edge of our seat? Have we ceased to lean in? Have we ceased to have that wonder for what God has to say? Has it become all familiar? Or have we not heard it? Have we not really understood that that was for us? 
Or have we heard it so many times that we cease to hear it anymore? Has it, as I said, has it just become familiar? Proverbs 23, 7. I've got all these scriptures that are going to go up if the guys can keep up with me because there's lots of them. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Yes, that's in the Bible. That is not something that we have enlightened ourselves with that, you know, what you think you believe and all that kind of stuff. God says, whatever you think deep down in your heart, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You will become what you truly believe. You will live out what you truly believe. So then, what we believe is vitally important because it shapes our life. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. You know, guard your heart with all diligence because uh, out of it flow the issues of life. Everything we believe in our heart determines what comes out of our mouth and what comes out of our life. So what we believe in our heart is so important. So do we believe... Okay, so if we've decided... Well, not we've decided. We've understood, sorry, that this... This is a big one, but um, some of them are... Slim line, some of them a bit bigger, but anyway. But the word of God is truth. It is the word of God, and God is not a man that he could lie. So he cannot lie, so his word is truth. This is the infallible, inerrant word of God, which means it cannot make a mistake, right? So if this is truth, and we don't believe what it says, then what are we believing? If we're not believing the truth, we're believing a? Yeah. You go, oh, that kind of smacks you between the eyes, doesn't it? But, we, so therefore we need to really have a look again at what God's word says. Because false gods, little g, and there are many of them, say something very different to what our one true God says. For a couple of examples for you. So you remember the uh, example of uh, Elijah, one lone prophet of God, Elijah, against all the prophets of Baal, hundreds of them, right? And so Eli and there they are up on the top of the mountaintop, which was a sacred place for Baal. So if anyone's going to uh, meet with this God, little g, Baal, then that's the place to do it, right? I'll just give you a recap of the story. And so um, Elijah's there by himself. And he says to the prophets of Baal, okay, well then, you know, get a, a, an animal, a bull or whatever, and, and build yourself an altar and put the animal on the uh, altar, and, but you are not allowed to light a fire. You need to pray to Baal and get him to send down fire from heaven. And I will do the same. Okay, so pretty much what happened was they did that first and Elijah stood back and he actually was having a bit of fun with them because... Of course, it didn't work because Baal is not a real god. He's, a, he's someone they were worshipping, but he's not the one true, almighty creator of heaven and earth, right? Anyway, so, and then Elijah said, I'll do the same. So he built an altar to the true God. He put an animal on it. He went one step further. He dug a big moat around it and filled it up with water. And then he threw water, 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 water everywhere. And then said, okay, let's see your God do his stuff. And of course it didn't happen. 
And of course, then when it was Elijah's turn, he prayed to God and God came down. Fire from heaven consumed the offering. Just to show that he is the all-powerful, true God. But in this whole process of the... Um, the prophets of Baal, trying to appease their God, and he wasn't listening, and they were asking, they were dancing around, they were dancing around, they started cutting themselves, cutting them, maybe this, maybe this will appease our God, maybe, maybe he'll come and do something, you know. So for me, the false God says, you will bleed for me, but Jesus says, I bled for you. You don't need to bleed for me, I bled for you willingly. See, a false god will say, you will die for me. But of course, Jesus says, I will die and did die. I died for you. You don't have to die for me. I died for you. I paid the price. I paid the price. See, and then there's the whole thing, for an example of that um, in the Old Testament of child sacrifice, which is a horrible thing. You don't even want to say the words. But it was prevalent in that time. And I'll get to that point in a moment. Baal demanded child sacrifice. Sacrifice your children to me. Moab, all the, the god of the Moabites, Molech, um, the god of the Canaanites and the Amorites and all those ites, you know, that were in the promised lands. Why God's saying, you know, you can't have anything to do with those people. They were all into child sacrifice to tie and appease their god. But these days... Child sacrifice is rampant. We are sacrificing our unborn babies to the God of self and to the God of um, convenience and to the God of lifestyle. False gods that say something very different to what the God of life says. See, John 10.10, Jesus speaking, says, The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. That's his agenda. That's what he comes. Actually, it says, the thief comes not but to steal, kill and destroy. He only ever comes with that agenda. He doesn't come with any other agenda other than to steal from you, to kill and to destroy. But Jesus goes on to say, but I have come that you may have life. He came to give us life. And then it doesn't just go full stop because then he says, and life more abundantly. God is the God of life that gives life. And this false god of self that we find our society worshipping more and more, although that's not what we call it, but I would say that's what it is, has caused a huge identity crisis. We're facing this right now. See, if my identity isn't found in Christ, if it's not found, if this is not where I find my identity, then where do I find it? Yeah, exactly. I find it with all the loud voices. In the, if I do not have this to tell me what my true identity is, okay, where is it found? Why am I here? Why do I exist? What's my purpose? Who am I really? Well, if I get to decide all that stuff, how do I choose? And unfortunately, so many are bowing to the pressures of the popular narrative of the day. This is nothing new. This is happening way back in the Old Testament times. It's just happening in a different way because we've forgotten who we are in Christ. And with so many other voices speaking louder 
than the truth. With the truth getting suppressed more and more, what else are people to know? If we don't tell them the truth, how are they going to know? I mean, the Bible actually says that. How are they going to believe unless someone tells them? And how's anyone going to tell them unless they're sent? How are the kids at school going to know the truth about the Word of God if no one goes in and tells them? Because I know myself, I stand there and I see their faces light up when they realise, because otherwise they don't hear it. They don't hear it. They don't know. They're hearing, you're right, the television, social media. They're hearing all the loud voices and they're not hearing the truth we need. This is our time to rise up, not only scripture, anyway, live our lives as a beacon of light and truth to the people around us. So, false gods will say, you will lose your identity to me because I will tell you what your identity is. But Jesus says, you will find your identity in me. So what is our identity in Christ? I was reading um, an interesting article called The Real You Revealed. Realise Your Identity in Christ, okay, by Dr. Tammy Ferry. I'm guessing since the name is Tammy, I'm assuming a female. I may be wrong. I don't know. But anyway, but this Dr. Tammy Ferry was talking about a time they'd been on holidays overseas. And you know what it's like? How many people when you go overseas, you check your passport every two minutes? Where's my passport? I check it, yeah, okay, at, at the, you know, going into security and then I check it after security and then I check it in the lounge and then I check it before I board the plane and then I check it after I board the plane and then I check it during the flight and then I check, I, I'm paranoid about losing my passport. I don't want to lose my identity, right? Anyway, so they got, um, their car was broken into. There are uh, all of their identity documents stolen. And she writes here, identity theft is one of the most frequent costly and pervasive crimes in our country, America, with approximately one in 14 Americans having their identity stolen each year, right? Fortunately, the thieves who broke into our car weren't all that sophisticated, but most professional identity thieves are very sophisticated. And she goes on to talk about identity theft, but makes this point, but the most sophisticated identity thief of all is Satan. He is the master identity thief and he wants to steal yours. Isn't that true? So what does the Bible say? All of that to get to this point. What does the Bible say about our identity in Christ? So I am just going to read a whole lot of Bible verses. Now, a lot of these will be very familiar to you, but I don't want you to hear words from my mouth or read words on a screen or go, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. I want you to ask Holy Spirit to reveal to you what he wants you to hear this morning. Because this, whilst it's up there, it is taken from the Bible. It is the Bible. It's the Bible, we've just put it up there for you to read, right? So this is God speaking to you, not to everyone else. He's speaking to everyone else as well. But he, this, you are not disqualified from any of these, okay? So Father, I pray that you will, Holy Spirit, come and reveal to every single person the truth of their identity in you. In Jesus' name we pray.
So 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're going to start with that, says that if anyone is in Christ, so that is when you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, that's what it means, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things, all things, not some, all things become new. Anyone ever wish they could have a new start, a fresh start, where all the old stuff's gone and I can start afresh right now with Jesus right now? There's your promise. I heard a fantastic message uh, by Sam DeMauro once, years and years and years ago, but it really stuck with me. He was talking about this passage and he likened it to a caterpillar going into its chrysalis or its cocoon and then coming out as a beautiful butterfly. And he says, and I remembered him using this illustration, what comes out is a totally and completely new creature. It is not a caterpillar with wings. Right? You haven't got a caterpillar and they've stuck wings on it. It's not something you've added to your life. It's not something you've added to who you were previously. It is a whole new creation. That's what this is talking about. Um, what John 1 12 but to all who believed him and accepted him I'm going to pause right there and give you another scripture Romans 10 9 says if you confess with your mouth so speak it out that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's who this is talking about. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, right, we've done that, he gave the right to become children of God. See, sometimes we talk about everyone being a child of God and in one sense we are because we are all created by him. We are all, God has created us all, and God wants us all in his family. And he has paid the price for us all to be in his family, but he doesn't force us to be in his family. He gives us the choice. So we actually have to accept that invitation. And it reminded me, I'm just going to go off on a little tangent here, this morning, whilst I was getting ready, God reminded me of this, and I thought, thank you. Yes, that's exactly, exactly the scenario. Years ago, I was invited to a wedding, right? Um, and it was for a, a, a mature couple. It was their second marriage. So they, they, you know, they, they kind of just sent a text message out as an invitation, right? So it seemed, um, you know, that I didn't have to reply really formally, right? So it was kind of, um, just reply to this text if you want to come. So I was thrilled to be invited to the wedding and I wanted to go to the wedding and I had every intention of going to the wedding and I thought I had accepted the invitation to the wedding. Because all, let's face it, all you had to do was reply to the text. Because this is like 15 years ago before texting was a really big thing. So just to get a text, there was the SMS back then, short message service, you know, right? not, not pictures and all that, right? Um, anyway, the wedding came and there I was all dressed up, went to the ceremony and then we went to the reception. 
And so I walked into the reception venue and I walked around all the tables just looking for my place card. Oh, not that table, next table. Nope, must be this one. I, I, all the tables. Oh, I missed my name. Oh, have to have another look. Second round, checked this table, checked that table. After I had gone round the whole reception area twice to check for my name, I get this dreaded feeling I didn't reply to the text. I didn't accept the invitation. So I kind of snuck out the back door, didn't make a big deal out of it. Got in my, walked down the street, got in my car and went home. I was hungry because it was dinner time. Had to go to Coles to get something for dinner. The cleaner was there going, a bit dressed up for going to Coles. And, oh yes, I've just been to a wedding ceremony, not reception. Anyway, the whole point is I hadn't accepted the invitation. I don't want any of us to get to the pearly gates and not have our name in the book. We might intend to be there. We might think we're going there. We might want to be there. But if we haven't accepted the invitation, no place card. So, we're going to have an opportunity to respond at the end of the message. But I just wanted to say that because all of these promises are for all of those who accepted the invitation into God's family. This is what he wants for all of us. It says, see, what? because it talks about us being in children of God, being in God's family. But as I said, he's not going to force us there. We, we get to accept the invitation into his family. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we could be called children of God of God and that is what we are. Ephesians 1.5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. It gives God great pleasure to accept you into his family. It's not like, oh yeah, there's another one. You know, these words are in the Bible for a reason. He is, actually the Bible tells us that whenever anyone accepts that invitation into God's family, the whole of heaven has a party. It gives God great pleasure because it's his will that none should perish. He doesn't want anyone left out of his family. Um, Romans 15, 7, Therefore accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. So this is actually talking about us accepting each other, but I wanted to make the emphasis there that Christ, Christ, Jesus, that wonderful Lord and Saviour accepted you. Not just everyone else, you. He accepts you, Judy, and Ronnie, and Tidia, and Nellie, and I could go around and name every one of us. Jesus, we've all heard about him. He's awesome, and he accepts you. He's the son of God. He's God himself. Ephesians 1.5, God, oh, I just did that one. I did that one. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6.7, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. How about that? When we read about Jesus, I don't think anyone would deny how amazing 
loving, forgiving, powerful, etc., that Jesus is. He is God and the one and only Son of God, right? Who would like to have the same spirit as Jesus? Like, seriously. It says here the person who's joined to the Lord has accepted his invitation is one spirit with him. I can't even get my head around that. Romans 8.11, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Not a lesser power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I hope you're getting this. This is amazing. Why? Any wonder the enemy tries to come and tell us lies about who we are, stop us believing this stuff, because if we actually really get who we are in Christ, Man, he doesn't stand a chance. Romans 6.6, 6, we just sang this. We are no longer slaves to sin. Col- Colossians 1.22, Jesus presents us holy, blameless and above reproach in God's sight. When we get to heaven and we stand before almighty God, Jesus says, hey, Rick, die there, there with me. And God sees Jesus' holiness. Holy, blameless, blameless and above reproach in God's sight. Genesis one twenty seven. we are created in God's own image at the very beginning of time when he chose to make us. He made us in his image, not like, hmm, what other thing can I do? No, I want them to be just like me. I want them to bear my image and then I'm going to fill them with my spirit to represent me on earth 1 Peter 2.9, no. Jeremiah 1.5, in case you think you're an accident, in case you think anything less than this, this is a truth about you, Before this is God speaking to you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I underline that. I want you to think about your most... What were those things you grabbed because you did not ever, ever, ever want to lose them. The the irreplaceable things that were your treasured possessions. Sorry, photos. Yeah, things that cannot be replaced. Memories and all that stuff. This 1 Peter 2.9 says that we, you, are God's special possession. It's how important you are to him. Galatians 3.27, for all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. When we choose him, we put him on. We're clothed in his very presence. 1 Corinthians 6.19-20, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. And can I tell you the price that was paid for you 
was the greatest price that could ever, ever be paid in the entire universe. It was his son's life, his son's blood, his one and only son that he gave willingly to rescue you. You were bought at a price. And actually it says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. How could that be at all joyful, what he endured on the cross? You know what the joy was that was set before him? You. You. I came across this fantastic article that I might just share with you. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's quite long. But um, it's entitled What God Thinks About You. And it's in um, Desiring God, I think. Either Desiring God or Bible Study Tools, one of those um, websites. Anyway, um, article by John Reinhardt. And I'm just going to read it because I, I was going to draw out of it. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to read it. And I'm going to intersperse it with the scripture references, but I'm not reading all the scriptures out to you, which is why I'll send this or make this available in a printed copy for you. We all want to know who we are. We seek and search and try to find ourselves. Many of us have taken personality tests and other assessments. Have you ever done that? You know, decided whether you're phlegmatic or choleric or an INTJ or an ENFP or a, or a you know, whatever. Anyway. Choleric, have you ever heard of, you've heard of cholerics and sanguines and melancholies and phlegmatics? It was really funny because I was writing this down and I couldn't even remember the word phlegmatic because it's just so far from me. And they're going, I know there's cholerics and melancholies and sanguines. What's the other one? Anyway, <laughs> phlegmatics are the most beautiful people in the whole world because they are so easy to get along with. They, yeah, yeah, sure, no worries. Yeah, I can do that. Yep, not a problem. They can be leaders if they need to be. And they can step up to that leadership role, but nothing is too, possible, too difficult for a phlegmatic. They are the most delightful people to be around. A lot of people think maybe Jesus was phlegmatic if you had to put a personality to him, but he was God, so I don't think we can put him in that kind of a box. But, you know, everyone likes them, right? You've got cholerics who think they know everything and really do, th so they're so t usually totally unaware. They're just really strong and opinionated and think they know everything. Um, I kind of got a bit of that, sorry. Um, and you've got your melancholies, absolute perfectionists, not looking at anyone in particular, sorry. <laughs> absolute, yeah, right. And you need those people, you need them, right? And you've got your sanguines. Daniel is a sanguine. He is a people person, absolutely got to be around people and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so that's just that. But then there's you know, all these other tests and then that was only four and then they decided there need to be 16 personality types and they decided there need to be, I don't know, 100 and something or other. Anyway, there's all these different tests to try and figure out who we are. But you know what? We've got a document, as we've just explored, that tells us very clearly who we are. We don't need to find ourselves or be defined by any other man-made anything other than who we are. Sure, we all have personalities. God gave them to us. He made us all different for a reason. He made us all different because we all bring something different together to make the body of Christ. Anyway, so I digress. Back to the article. But as helpful as those tests can be, have you ever stopped to ask, what does God think about me? Who does he say that I am? Then I have a heading saying, you are valuable. I am the creator and you are my creation. 
I breathed into your nostrils the breath of life, Genesis 2.7. I created you in my own image, Genesis 1.27. My eyes saw your unformed substance, Psalm 139.16. I knit you together in your mother's womb, Psalm 139.13. I know the number of hairs on your head and before a word is on your tongue, I know it, Matthew 10.30 and Psalm 139.4. Go home and read Psalm 139. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139.14. The article then goes on to point out how I rejected God and turned away from him. And yet in my great love I gave my son, that all those who believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life, John 3.16. While you are still sinners, Christ died for you. While you are still hostile toward me, you were reconciled to me by the death of my son, Romans 5.8 and 10. Sin doesn't have the last word. Grace does, Romans 5.20. Now everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved, Romans 10.13. You, you who have believed are born again, 1 Peter 1.3. I have adopted you, Ephesians 1.5. You are children of God, heirs of God, 1 John 3.2 and Romans 8.16-17. You are no longer orphans. You belong to me. This is God speaking to you. John 14, 18 and 1 Corinthians 6, 19. And I love you as a perfect father. What Perfect father, right? Some of us don't have perfect fathers, but I did. But, um, but God loves us as a perfect father. 1 John 3, 1 and Luke 15, 20 to 24. So you're valuable. You are new. In my eyes, you are a brand new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Sin is, sin is no longer your master, for you died to sin and now alive in me, Romans 6.11, Ephesians 2.4-5. You are finally free from the slavery of sin and death. There is now no condemnation for you, Romans 8.1-2. All your sins are forgiven. All of them. How many? All, right? All your sins are forgiven, 1 John 1, 9. All your righteousness has been, sorry, all your unrighteousness has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, 1 John 1, 7 and 9. You are now righteous in my sight with the very righteousness of my perfect son, Romans 4, 5. You have been saved by grace. Grace is unmerited favour. We didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, but he gave it to us anyway, Ephesians 2, 8. You have been justified by faith, Romans 5.1. You are utterly secure in me. Nothing will be able to separate you from my love in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.39. No one is able to snatch you out of my hand, John 10.29. And I will never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13.5. And that's just some of it just some of it are you getting how precious you are to God how valuable how wanted how seen he sees you you are not invisible to him you are loved by God chosen and adopted into his family you are valuable and purchased at the highest price you are known, you are seen and cherished by the highest power 
in the universe. Today apparently is Valentine's Day and everyone's hoping, does anyone love me? Can I tell you? The highest power, and I say in the universe, outside of the universe, is not in, he's, he's greater than the entire universe. He's the greatest power. He is the creator. The Alpha and the Omega, the all-powerful, all-knowing God, and you are seen and cherished and loved by him. Almighty God loves you, and you are his special possession. I'm going to get the band to come up. Um, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says this about you. No, now check this out, right? Because it's hard to believe. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You cannot begin. The most magnificent thing anyone in the whole world has seen does not come close to what he's got for you. Got for you. No, no one in the whole world, even those amazing creative artists and every, no one can imagine anything as great as what God has got for you. This scripture occurred to me after I had printed my sermon, so I've got it here. Matthew 10, 32. Because, as I said, I don't want any of us to be like I was at that wedding and find that I had not actually accepted the invitation, even though I wanted to, even though I thought I had, even though it seemed... So simple, that was almost insignificant. All I had to do was reply to a text. So, you know, that's just so easy. And you know what? God makes it so easy for us to accept his invitation into his family that maybe it seems so simple and so easy that I don't really need to do that. But I don't want anyone to get to heaven and not have your name in the book because you haven't accepted his invitation. Matthew 10.32 says this, Everyone, how many people? Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Jesus said, you acknowledge me publicly here on earth, I'm acknowledging you to my Father in heaven. So we're going to open up the, the front here. You may have thought, you know what, I thought I had actually accepted that because I, I, I love God, but I haven't actually ever really confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, believed in my heart that God raised him from the dead. I haven't declared him publicly before people. I'm going to give us an opportunity to do that today. You might want to do that again. He's not going to go, nope, sorry, you can't come. No. And so, because these two songs that we sang, just this sermon in song, really, and so um, as the band plays, if you would like to come forward and publicly declare Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, I invite you to do that. It's not mean, and then now there's no judgment, no condemnation. If people are still sitting, they might just be confident in their relationship with God, or they might choose not to, that's okay too, but um, just remember that, that there has to be that moment in time where you publicly declare 
that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Sweet.
and every one of us has a place in your house and you know what I don't want you to walk out that door if you if you really wanted to come up um, come and talk to one of the leaders and come and talk to Joe or myself or Ben or Rick and Sandy Grant and Bob we'd love to have that conversation with you over morning tea come and find us God, I just pray that you will richly bless us this week in all that we do. Continue to expand our territory for you, for your purposes. Pray that your hand will be upon each and every one of us. I pray that you will keep us from evil so that we may not cause anyone pain. And I pray as we walk out the door that we remember whose we are and where to go to find that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Enjoy morning tea, everybody.